This episode is brought to you by Battleground Fitness. Battleground Fitness is owned by Air Force veteran Brandon Lirio. Brandon is an international champion, natural bodybuilder, personal trainer, and athletic coach. Battleground Fitness provides people in different seasons of their life tailored, comprehensive, and all-inclusive diet and training plans via their online coaching platform. For over a decade, they've been helping clients realize their full potential and dedicate themselves to the science of pushing personal limits and boundaries. Whether it be for a contest-specific goal to improve your general health or transform your physique and state of mind, Battleground Fitness can help. It's time to go to war with yourself. Connect with Battleground Fitness today at www.bgfitonline.com. What's up, Llama listeners? Joe here, and I'm excited to announce our partnership with Blazing Star Barbecue. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned business owned and operated by Mike Starr, a veteran of over 20 years of military service and a fantastic member of the Llama family. Through his amazing rubs and sauces, Mike is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. And I got to tell you, I love me some Blazing Star Barbecue, especially the Reaper and brand new Scorpion rubs. I absolutely put them on everything, and they pretty much have rendered the rest of my spice cabinet obsolete. Check them out at BlazingStarBarbecue.com and Blazing Star Barbecue on all social media platforms and get your sauces and rubs today. We promise you won't be disappointed. The Lima Charlie Network is a group of thought leaders and podcasters with the goals of improving ourselves, inspiring and educating others, and bringing viable conversations to both military and civilian audiences. Our vision is to empower others to reach new heights in leadership, self-development, and communication by connecting our audience to crucial conversations. Focused on sharing tools, ideas, and perspectives for impactful improvement. A one-stop shop for aspiring and seasoned leaders alike to gain from the experiences and knowledge of others. We aren't just a network of colleagues, we are family. And we invite you to come and join us on this journey. And we look forward to delivering invaluable information to you loud and clear. Welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and it's an honor for me to welcome this man to the lounge, Bill Ekstrom. Bill is the founder and CEO of Excel Institute, the world's first and only organization to measure and quantify leadership effectiveness. He is considered one of the world's top authorities in metric-based performance coaching and growth, and he is also the author of the book, The Coaching Effect, which we'll talk about a bit later. Welcome to the lounge, Bill. How are you? Wonderful, Joe. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it's it's an absolute honor. I'm great. You know, I know we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, but um, I was just looking uh, into your one sheet and and all you bring to the table, and I've been super excited about this. But uh, before we get started on on our chat, like, hey, wh- where are you at, and what's it like over there right now? 
I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska at the moment. And <laughs> what's it like? It is what we make of it. Not to sound mm. cliche, but here's what's interesting about the question. Yeah. Um, uh, about a year ago, I was on a call and like most calls, the conversation. So where are you calling from? Uh, what's weather? What, what's weather over there? <laughs> and every single call, every, it's it's the opportunity or as a way to kill dead, dead time. People ask, well, what's weather like there? I promised myself I would never do that again. <laughs> so, Joe, here's my question back to you. Uh, instead of instead of talking about the weather or what's it like over there, what's been the best part of your week so far? Man, the best part of my week. You know, every week's a blessing. There's so many opportunities. I would say probably the best part of my week is I got to do um, a lot of reflection with my wife. We got to sit and talk about things, you know, and there was actually, we're, we're always so busy that when we come home, we bring work home or doing school and we don't have the opportunity to necessarily connect. So this week we actually made some concerted effort to, to have some discussion. So that's, that's probably the best part of my week so far. Good. See, isn't that better than asking about the, talking about the weather? Yeah. I just yeah. learned about you. I learned you're married. I learned you've got, <laughs> you know, a relationship with your wife, you're focused on that. Yeah. yeah. Much, well, much better. Well, let me turn that around. What was the best part of your week so far? <laughs> Quid pro quo, huh, Joe? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. I was humbly and honored to, I was asked to uh, do another TED Talk. <laughs> and my first draft of the talk is due on Friday of this week. Oh. And I this week finished my first draft of the upcoming TED talk. So that was one of those deep breath moments, Joe, where you, it's, it's not there yet, but it's probably 80% there, 70% there, but it's a significant step in that journey. So that, that was the best part of my week. I was able to sit back and just breathe and be happy, proud of myself. Uh, yeah, we all, you know, we need to celebrate those, those milestones and victories too. And I, I share that often is a lot of times we just bypass those and just get to the next thing. You know, I got it. I got this draft done now. What's next. And um, sometimes we do need to sit there and breathe and, and take it all in. So that's good on you. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, you know, Bill, whenever we get started and we have a brand new guest on the lounge that hasn't visited before, we asked that, you know, they shared our story because we often can learn so much from the stories of others. So, Bill, would you please share, how did Bill Ekstrom become the man he is today? Um, it would be so easy if there were an event or a single thing. You know, it's it's funny. I think back, like you you read my one sheet that kind of describes that our marketing and PR people put out and, mm-hmm. and wonderful leaders. And like you, Joe, they look at it and they go, wow, here's a guy that he, wow, he's done a lot. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's accomplished, right? He's an author. He had a viral Ted talk. He's got two companies and so on and so forth. Right. But here's what I find interesting about that is you don't get the whole story. You, you get to see what our marketing PR people want you to see, but what's left out, what they don't want you to see or know perhaps are all the setbacks and the challenges and, and quite frankly, countless times I failed. Um, I mean, but I get it. I don't think if my one sheet that you read said, hey, uh, as a young man, uh, Bill was behaviorally challenged, and by today's standards, he would have been considered uh, behaviorally disordered. 
Um, uh, Bill was kicked out of school in the seventh grade with the recommendation to be expelled from the school district. He was, you know, able to play sports in high school because he had a couple of athletic coaches that really worked hard to keep him academically eligible. He flunked out of college his freshman year, started his wonderful, glorious professional career working in a meatpacking plant in Omaha, Nebraska, um, you know, was fired from his job in 2008. Uh, and uh, his application to do his first TED talk was rejected by the TED committee in his own hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska. So, you know, hey, let's get that guy on this show. You know, wow, what a stud. Um, so it's instead of like giving you my life story, which I kind of did in a, in a nutshell there, it's it's those events. You know, you've got all the good stuff written down, the stuff where he sent you, but it's those other events like I just described that really complete who we are as humans that enhance who we are, that allow us the opportunity to overcome and grow. And that's the stuff nobody really wants to talk about. Um, but yet I wouldn't be on this call with you today. Had I not had all those setbacks and, and had opportunities to overcome them. So Hopefully that's a little different perspective on my life story up to this moment. Yeah. You know, I love that you share that. And I think, you know, um, I'm a big follower of Stoic philosophy and, you know, we, we talk a lot about those things in, in, in Stoic philosophy in the studies and something I even shared this week um, with my team, I try to send out a motivational message and we talk about uh, Frederick Douglass's old quote, without struggle, there's no progress. And, you know, I, I think that, we do live in this Instagram world where we're showing all the perfect parts of everything. And I think sometimes that creates a culture where people feel like I want to take the easy way to get to whatever that is. And, and my, my experience is there is no easy way. There's going to be crucibles and there's going to be, and, and I think the most successful people, and I think what you, what you talk about quite a bit in your coaching is if you embrace those and seek those as opportunities, those struggles. And, and when you're in those disappointment phases, you look at why am I here right now? What can I learn from it? I think those are, you know, the, 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 the long lasting effectiveness, you know, the, to get to that point where you're going to be more successful versus, um, you know, how do I get there? I, I want to get promoted. I don't, I'm not really trying to learn how to be promoted. I'm trying to just get promoted <laughs> or I'm trying to get to whatever that, what, whatever bill has right now, not even thinking about all the struggles that bill and all the failures that bill, you know, experienced to get there and what he learned from those things and that those all contributed to him being here. And, and I think it's a great, um, it's just a paradigm shift that we need to help share, you know, especially as coaches. You know, yeah, it's interesting. I, and, and this is Joe, man, you bring up some interesting points um, in my, in my upcoming Ted talk, I'm going to talk about a coaches in the world of sport, a coach's impact on a student athlete's experience. And one of, and you said something very profound. It's uh, I can't remember. You said, I want to get it how do I, how, how do I get promoted as opposed to what do I have to do to be promoted or something along right, that? Right, I can't, right, yeah. What, yeah. How did you word that? Yeah. So we often like, we teach people how to get promoted or people want to get promoted, but we don't like try to take, do the deep work to figure out what, what do I need to be effective in that promotion? Right. To, to be promoted. Right. right. And that's, and that's the challenge I see right now in the world of sport and coaching. It's mm -hmm. um, I want to get the win. Mm -hmm. And, and so 
when that becomes the focus, the sole focus or the primary focus, all of a sudden values get moved aside, morals are fudged, you know, um, because I move aside to your point, what, what are the inputs that get me there on a, you know, on, on moral ground, on ethical ground, on, on, on a set of values? Um, that's, that's where a lot of that focus needs to come back to, to your point in, in the world. I don't care if I'm in the world of sport or, or the business world. Um, what are my inputs? What are the things that I can focus on day in, day out? that just make me better. And oh, by the way, if I do that, I'm going to get promoted. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what are in, the, in, 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 you know, football, what are the things we do? If we don't focus on when we focus on all these other things. And if we do those really, really well, those results can usually be wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that has to be applied in every aspect of a leader's life. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, you know, from the military perspective, a lot of times, you know, because there's so much surrounding getting promoted and value, like you're valued if you're getting promoted. A lot of people have that belief. And, and so people try to figure out how do I get to that? What's the blueprint to get promoted as quick as possible? And, and I, my experience is that, you know, there's not one blueprint for at all anyway, but to think there to try to speed there, that's typically not effective. Like what you want to do is figure out, okay, what characteristics and values and, and, and things that do I need to hone to be able to be effective in that promotion? And then, and then hopefully in that turn that gets me promoted, you know? Right. And, yeah. Exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what are those inputs mm-hmm. that most effectively create the outcome? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think people get confused. Um, is, you know, what are the things, you know, in the world of business, when we study high-performing teams, high-performing, you know, leaders of teams, um, we call, we use the term coaching still even in business. Um, but some of the things that that get people, not promoted, but get their teams to perform at the highest level are, are surprising to people. Uh, number one is what are, the, what are the relationships you have with the people on your team? Are they strong? Are they weak? Are they somewhere in between? And the weaker the relationship, by the way, the less likely your team is to perform. So there are some, you know, psychological safety. How, what kind of environment have you created for the people on your team? So too often we, we, we associate my growth with things that probably are, won't get us there as quickly. Um, you know, if we want to grow a team, it's, it's, for example, connection, trust-based connections, and it's creating a psychologically safe environment to create the highest performing teams. Those are the top, so two of the top two uh, coaching traits, but yet nobody really wants to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it takes time and I, you know, and we kind of go back to like a lot of times people are speeding to get to wherever they're at because maybe it's the competitive nature you know, that, that, the environment that's out there, but yeah, I, I do think that teams don't necessarily, um, benefit from someone just getting there as quick as possible without getting the experience. And, 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 and I don't, I don't even mean, and I, I'm sure you can attest to this. It doesn't mean just being long in the tooth either. Cause that doesn't necessarily mean you have the best experience. That doesn't mean it's valuable experiences. I think it takes a concerted effort for someone to put themselves in situations to gain the experience that is going to bring value to their team as a leader. 
Yeah. And those experiences are usually uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so people <laughs> want to avoid them. So yes, you're right, Joe. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're an expert on coaching and we kind of talked about a little bit, but, you know, you know, I think that throughout a day, in my job as a leadership in a leadership role, I will, I will navigate through uh, times where I shift from the role of a coach to uh, I may shift to more of a leadership role versus I might shift to a management role, depending on what's going on in a day in the situation. Um, What, what are, in your opinion, what are some advantages and you know, why, why would we coach versus lead and manage? Oh, wow. How long do we have Joe? (laughs) Um, we coach is too often looked at as an action, you know, it, it's a verb, um, but it's also a noun. And there is probably, you know, I look at, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of things. Number one, I look, I look at leaders and I, and, and I look at a follower and a follower can have great leadership traits but not be in a formal leadership role, right? Um, coaches, and you you even differentiate between the term. Coaches, typically, you know, the word has connotations in the world of athletics. And they typically have to be accountable for everything that leads to that end result. Everything. Which then I see one of the biggest differentiators. If I'm going to be a coach, that means I have a team of people underneath me. You know, if I'm in a follower role, but with great leadership traits, I may not be impacting a team of people. I may not be accountable for taking a team of people and growing them. So we look at coach as um, a more encompassing term that has a person or a team of people for whom they are accountable and responsible to elevate their performance. And great coaches know when it's appropriate to lead, to be strategic, to do all those things. Um, Great coaches know what should be managed and how to manage it. Great coaches, I always get people say, well, hey, they're a great coach. They just don't have good talent. And I think, no, wait a minute. Since when did it here? So it's encompassing. Great coaches should know how to identify talent, acquire talent, and develop talent. So they own everything. They should great motivators, great strategists. They own everything that produces the team end result. Everything. That's how we view a coach. That's amazing. And I think that that's a great, um, just how you defined it is a great way to frame coaching and, and a person as a coach, because to me, when I look at it, you know, I find the most rewarding times is when I'm in that coaching role. And, um, and I think one thing that I really find value, cause me, and it's funny because I think that we, we were destined to meet each other. My vision as a leader is to develop world championship winning coaching trees. Like I want to develop coaches that are successful in leading whatever winning is to them in whatever facet their life is. Um, that, that, that's a huge, um, uh, just a line of effort for me. And when it comes to coaching, I, I, last week, if you would have asked me the same question you asked me this week, if you had asked me last week, hey, what was your most, you know, what was the time that best you part that of your was week. the best part of my week? I would have said there was a moment 
that I was supposed to have a 30 minute meeting with a member that came to me to, to just, he was venting about all the things that were wrong with his life and, um, and how everybody's always out to get him, <laughs> you know, all, all the, all the externalizing that you could do. Uh, so that turned into an hour and 15 minute coaching discussion, you know, that, um, a coaching session where really he needed, he needed a coach. He needed someone to tell, show him, what he was messing up on, um, how he wasn't taking ownership over things. And, 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 you know, and I think that those conversations, you know, in a management role, you probably aren't having necessarily, even in a leadership role, you may not be having, those are, these are, this is, I, I realize that he needs some life coaching right now. <laughs> he doesn't need right. disciplinarian chief Bogdan going, on, going in on him. He doesn't need someone to tell him more tasks that he needs to do to tactically get better. You know, he needed someone to coach and, and help him get to uh, a, a solution himself and also help him reach his maximum potential, whatever that might be. And I think that, um, that, that that's a skill that we in the Air Force, actually, we're doing a lot more on that, where we're doing more certifications on coaching. And I think it's... Um, it's something that it's awesome. And I think that's great that you bring so much to the table in this world. Well, thank you. Um, you said a lot of very poignant and very provocative and, and <laughs> phrases in what you said. I mean, like you said, help him understand, help him realize, help him, you know, um, you didn't say one of the things I hear most. Well, I removed the obstacle so he could go do this. And, and too often, Joe, coaches or leaders, and I hear it, they literally will say it. Well, my job in, in, in my company, for my people, oh, I remove obstacles so they can perform. And my response is always the same because, and you did not use this phrase, which I so respected. Our job is not to remove obstacles. It's to help them understand how to remove them themselves. And if we do that, then they are empowered. They figure out how to self-empower. And if we're always out there removing obstacles for them, then, you know, we're no different than a helicopter parent not letting their kids run in any challenges, right? Right. Yeah. Snowplow leaders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm clear path for everybody. Yeah. No, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not how it goes. Yeah. I think that a lot of times when you're doing that, you know, you're playing a finite game because it might help you this week and they might even love you for it, but the long-term effectiveness, you know, and, and what Cynic would talk about, you know, as the infinite game, like the long-term effectiveness organization, you're actually hurting your team significantly. If you're not arming people with the ability to know that they can get through some of these situations themselves. Exactly. And that's what great coaches do. I, I, a, a friend of mine, um, is a uh, Olympic sports psychologist up in Canada. His name is Dr. Peter Jensen. He used a, a term. I learned a term from him that is stuck with me from the first time the words came out of his mouth. But he calls it a developmental bias. That great coaches have a developmental bias. Me, meaning, and I, when I asked him to elaborate, he said, so Joe, if you're my coach, you see things in me that I probably don't even see myself. You see places I can grow. You see opportunities. You see levels that I can attain that I probably don't even know are there. And you help me not get there, but discover how I can see them and get there. And, and what you just described is that developmental bias. Let's great coaches do that. 
they have that. It's hard to teach that one. Yeah, I think we get um, a lot of times ego plays a part in that too, and um, and sometimes we, 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 that ego will turn into you know manifest in a way that we're trying to fix the problem so we can be the hero, but other times we also kind of like project our own goals on people. Like this is what right looks like. And that's not necessarily the case. What right looks like for me, my white picket fence might not be Bill Ekstrom's white picket fence. So if I'm trying to guide you to mine, uh, it's already going to go wrong right from the beginning. Yeah, I know. That's, that's well said, yes. My white picket fence is not yours, Joe. Right. <laughs> yeah, so so we kind of alluded to some of this, but what do you think, you know, we, we've talked about what some, maybe some errors that coaches make, but what does make one coach more effective than another coach? Uh, well, there's, uh, there's differences within, we measure six primary themes that we, that, that lead to coaching effectiveness. Um, and the themes are their ability to create trust-based connections is one theme. Another is creating a psychologically safe environment, um, skill development, their ability to develop their skills, their, their communication, their um, structure, their, basically the structure disciplines, and their challenge. Their, you know, and this is where I think a lot of people think, well, if you're saying, Bill, that that the soft stuff, right? Which by the way, is not soft because we can measure it. Um, my ability to connect with people or create a psychologically safe environment. Those are the soft things. No, here's why they're soft. Number one, we they're not soft. We, number one, we can measure them. And we talk about this in our book, The Coaching Effect. But number two, Joe, is the more you and I connect, the more you and I trust each other and you're my coach, the more I allow you to push me to challenge me, to make me uncomfortable in a way that creates growth for me. So great coaches perform within those themes better than all the, all the rest. But here's what's interesting about that, Joe, is that the, the gaps between good and great are not very big. And my guess is you see that in the military as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. The gaps between good and great or great to elite, whatever you want to call it, are pretty small. But what it takes to close those gaps seem astronomical in people's minds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've discovered that a lot of times it's in the details, you know, that that closes that gap is identifying those details and then giving attention to those details. Because most of us are doing the big rocks relatively you know okay like uh, amongst others but it's the, it's the, the person that seems extraordinary it's the one that focuses on those details and, and is attentive to those and whether that's um, a subordinate's needs or you know or a protege's uh what what they don't want to hear but they need to hear you know so some mm -hmm. of the you know focusing on those things i've noticed is is a huge part of that but I, you know to your point with those those areas that you talked about I've seen people effective at one or two of them and then totally like, you know, just mailing it in on, on, on one, like communication as important as that is. And they think they're doing well. And yeah, yeah. You can see that they're not as effective as a coach, even though they're crushing one realm of it. Right. Exactly. And it, it's, and we all have like anything else we're, we all strengths in some and not as much in others, but 
you know, the, the whole idea of, well, we just focus on strengths and we don't focus on weakness. You know, I get that, but here's, you know, <laughs> if you've got a point guard in basketball that can't go left, mm-hmm. you know, and every time he brings the ball up the court, he or yeah. she, they go right every time. You can't, yeah. well, listen, that's right. not their strength. So we're not going to worry. We're just going to go right every time. You know, that doesn't work. <laughs> I feel attacked. I can't go left. You just hit me. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was my struggle. <laughs> yeah, people always um, ask me, I was like, you seem like you could shoot and you play. I was like, I can't go left. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and leaders are the same way to say, you know, in my in my case, um, I'm weakest in the structure area mm-hmm. to say, well, that's who I am. Right. Tough crap. You know, mm-hmm. live with it. No, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. Right. I have to develop some systems that allow myself to. De- now, I, I won't be a structure to some people in our company, mm-hmm. but I have to develop some boundaries, some systems that work for me. Number one. Number two, I got to surround myself with people that can that are more structured than me. So to ignore it and say we can't do that, I think, is really sending a wrong message to people. Yeah, I think um, like people somehow conflate build, uh, working to your strength as completely ignoring your weaknesses, and that's not the case. Like, yeah, that'd be a terrible business model. Hey, I just suck at that, so I'm not worried about it. So you just got to deal with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah, the structure thing is interesting because I love that you brought that up because that's not something that I think often comes up in these conversations. And I have seen not just, um, you know, poor coaching or just discussions that are, you know, people say, no, this should be fully natural, you know, organic conversation. There needs to be some structure at some point or guidance, or even a point to why you're having a conversation, or it's going to be, you're both going to walk away from this and be like, what, what was that? Was that a waste of time? (laughs) You know, like, what did we get out of that? So I think structure is important. It's often under, uh, underappreciated. And, and, and sometimes into your point, I think, misunderstood people think structure is uh jocko willick discipline 430 mm-hmm. every you know it, yeah. i can't do that you know mm-hmm. i could it's just not my deal um yeah. but structure when you think about coaching so one-on-one meetings great coaches do one-on-one meetings mm-hmm. at least every other week okay but there's a structure to them number one they don't miss them number two when they get into those meetings they follow a basic set of structures that allow those meetings to be more successful. Right. Um, here's another structure. And, and again, often, very often overlooked. Joe, when you present yourself to your team, is it a consistent way? Or does your team say, uh-oh, what kind of mood is Joe in today? Oh, man, hope he's not in a bad mood. when he can. You know, if we keep our people guessing on, for example, the kind of mood, the kind of person I am that day, that's not, that's not good. You know, we need that structure. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you brought that up because I think you, you touched on the psychological safety there earlier, and this is all kind of like, you know, to me, it, it all works together is that as leaders, you know, how, how do I present myself to my team and how does my team present themselves to me? Right. And how do I interpret that? I think that psychological safety, you know, we'll go back to that for a second, because that was one of the core principles you brought up is we have to have the humility to know that also our subordinates can make us feel psychologically unsafe. And, and that trust has to go both ways. And I love how, um, 
I was, I was talking to somebody on, on the podcast recently, and he was talking about as leaders, we need to lose the uh, competency war because when you don't have trust with your teammates when you're brand new, you, you're, you're they're 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 anxious because they don't know who you are. You're, you don't know them. So you come in and a lot of times both teams are trying to strive to build trust by telling each other how competent they are. The leader is trying to show that they're super competent and the subordinates are trying to prove to their leader that they're competent. And it becomes this conflict instead of a, an area where you're building trust. And I was like, man, I see that happen all the time, all the time, you know? So that is so profound. I'm going to remember that. And I may even steal it and I'll quote you if I do, but uh, lose the competency war because you are so right. You know, I, one of the, one of the things I'll tell groups is your role, one of your roles, there's many things, of course, but as, as you want to be an effective coach, your role, for example, in a meeting, in we, as we talk about psych safety, is not to have the best answer. It is right. not to have the best idea. It's not to be the first to answer. Mm-hmm. Your role should be more, can you be the one asked that to ask the best question? Right. Absolutely. And that is what will allow others to see your competency mm-hmm. without you. You don't have to show them your gold. They'll dig in and find it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was, you know, this guy, this amazingly smart guy, Scott Drake that brought that up. So I don't, don't quote me that was Scott Drake has said that. And it just, it made me like, just like, you know, just our discussion right now, it blew my mind because I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of it. I've done that before. We all have. <laughs> yeah. That's how yeah. we learn from it though. Right. 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 Absolutely. So, man, I, I love how this conversation is going and I wanted, you know, we talked about it in your intro is that, your your organization is able to measure and quantify leadership effectiveness. And we've been talking about this um, throughout the discussion about, you know, these soft skills. And typically they probably, I don't call them soft skills either because they're skills, right? Uh, if anybody who does not have them tries to develop them, they shouldn't call them soft skills because they're probably going to realize how difficult they are. And, you know, that comes off, it puts off this weird image of what they are. They're not soft skills, but, you know, it, it will typically it's because it's hard to quantify them. You know, people have a hard time, but y'all have figured it out. How do you, how do you do that? How, how do you measure effectiveness of these skills? Oh man, we've been researching this for 12 years, Joe. Mm. Um, what we have found to be the most effective way is now it's the, the answer sounds simple, but it's very complicated survey. That's the simple answer. But what do you survey? How do you ask? What are you looking for? What is the end result? You know, um, and when we when we survey, we're we're trying to see how coaches score through the eyes of the people on their team, because ultimately that's all that matters. You know, people say, "Well, what about a three hundred and sixty? You know, sideways?" And no, th- that doesn't matter because how often do your peers go watch you lead and coach probably rarely how often do your superiors see you lead and coach probably rarely they see the outcome of your leadership or coaching but they don't see the inputs so we measure through surveying the people on your team to get an understanding of how they respond to your behaviors Everything a coach says and does in front of people on their team has an impact. 
And that impact either creates growth or it keeps things level rarely, but, or it can diminish growth. And so we'll research from the, we, we survey from the bottom up. And then there have been a litany of other things we've developed to software to understand what great leaders are doing day in and day out with their people. So there's been a series of things, but the primary way we do it is through the survey methodology. So whenever you're collecting data in, in, in that type of way, there's going to be like deviations, right? Like someone, like re- timing plays a big part. You do the survey right after someone got some ad- administrative discipline because they weren't doing something effective. Do, do y'all account for that? Um, there, there's always survey bias, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when you've have as many data points as we've measured, when I, when I talk about that, I'm like, teachers to students, coaches to student athletes, leaders to people on their team. Um, you know, we've done now over half a million. And so it kind of evens out. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we did 10, yeah, that could really throw the numbers off. But yeah. over time and with just the huge amounts of data that we have, um, it really doesn't skew the data. Now, for an individual, like if we were – to um, uh, survey the people on, that report to you that are on your team, Joe, and you just had a rough week or a rough go, yeah, that could impact it. Um, but over time, if we do thousands of Joes, then now there's really very, as a matter of fact, there's, our data t- at this point changes very little. Yeah, man, Bill, I I love the work that you're doing. Um, I love the fact that you're researching and quantifying leadership effectiveness, you know, and and studying the coaching because it it is something that I think most people shy away from because it's just difficult. Just like we kind of talked about the beginning, like people like want things easier, you know, it's like, well, we can't measure it. Then let's just move on to the next thing and succeed somewhere else. Like, no, you kind of got to go through the storm. (laughs) You know, you got to go through the storm to get to wherever you're trying to go to. If you want to be, Oh, we've been through that storm, Joe. Yeah. Yes, we have. (laughs) I bet, (laughs) man. So coaching, I've discovered that it's just super important and we need coaches because, you know, in, in the force we've talked about, quite a bit, like even our, our mental health systems are getting, um, just they're, they're getting crushed. They don't have, we don't have enough providers to be able to deal with some of the struggles that people are dealing with. And I, I guarantee that's also happening in the civilian world. And, and, and we've discovered that a lot of it could be just, uh, could be dealt with by effective coaching by supervisors, direct supervisors, leaders, you know, so arming those, those people with that to help, you know, and then it can really save the providers, for the, for the legit mental health issues that need to come to their level, you know, so it kind of helps everybody along the way. And I think um, that, that what you're doing is amazing. So how do people find out more about your work and where did they get your book? Um, well, thank you for that opportunity, Joe. Um, they can find more about our work, uh, Excel Institute. It's E-C-S-E-L-L, excelinstitute.com. Uh, my personal website is billextrom.com. Uh, the book, The Coaching Effect, is at all the fine, usual outlets, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all those typical places. Um, and I'll brag for a second. It's been on that Amazon bestseller list since the day of its release. And that's, so it's wow. been over three years wow. on, the, on that list. So we're really, really proud. It's just, 
yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get my hands on it because it's something that I think that no matter what, if you've been doing it for a while, you can still gain different perspectives and like, like all leadership perspectives, coaching and, and management. I think that there's the things that we have to continuously hone because things change so much in a dynamic environment. So really appreciate the work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We love data. We love research. So yeah. it just, it's fun. Yeah. You spoke, you spoke to my heart as soon as you said, you know, you bring quantifiable data you know, and to be able to measure these things. Cause you know, that's something that's been very elusive. So that, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, Bill, this has been a great conversation, but we can't let you out of here until we hit you. What we call the leadership rapid fire Four questions, however you want to interpret it, however you want to answer. Okay. Let me close my eyes and take a breath. <laughs> all right. Question number one, what is your favorite leadership trait and why? Challenge, because I'm naturally good at making connections and getting people to trust me, um, which then challenges my favorite leadership trait because people don't grow without it. Mm. You know, growth only occurs in a state of discomfort yeah. and discomfort won't occur unless you challenge people in a healthy, in a healthy way, not through fear, but through love. And through caring. So that'd be challenge. Yeah. I love that. You know, and it's something that I learned in, in my graduate degree. I remember reading a book and it talked about, you know, leadership's primary or one of the foundational roles of a leader is to minimize unneeded distress amongst our teams. And I think the key word there is unneeded. Unneeded. I, yeah. Because yep. because it's not to remove all distress. Your teams need to get that to be able to grow together. Oh, yeah. Teams got to have stress. When, right. we, when we studied high performing teams, we heard words like there's healthy tension. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of discomfort, you know. Um, so that's prevalent. You know, it's almost palpable in, yeah. in the highest performing teams. Yeah, I've even seen the opposite. I know this is rapid fire, but <laughs> we're just having a great conversation. But <laughs> I, I've seen it where a team, they all seem like they get along, but it's so surface level and they're not willing to have that true conversation to get to that conflict. And you can just see that there's not really a connection there. Yep, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you're spot on. <laughs> all right, question number two, what is your favorite quote? Uh, may, may I share two? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the, the first one, not in order, but the first one, um, came from, and I closed my first Ted talk with it. And, um, I may get this tattooed in my body at some point if it were just a little shorter, but it is this, the, the, and it's by, uh, Dr. Serene Jones, and the quote goes, the constant facade of order hides the wilderness that is craving to seep out and teach us that life wasn't created to be what we think it is. Beyond words, we must experience the wilderness to be taught what cannot be otherwise known. So that would be one. And the other is by Viktor Frankl, much shorter quote says, um, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So there you go. Two for one. Yeah. Love them both. I think you could get, get them both, like maybe on your ribs, like if you get tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they hurt. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I think that, that I love that you quoted that Victor Frankel, and then you finished a quote because I hear so many people stop at 
the choose part and they don't go all the way to the growth part, you know? So really appreciate you sharing that with us. All right. Question number three, what is a book besides yours that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? Um, I'll go back to Viktor Frankl um, since he's top of mind right now. Um, Man's search for meaning. Mm. Yeah. Amazing book. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that's, that's a must for any leader. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. The final question, and this is the deep question of the day at the Llama Lounge. We're all about life learning and leadership. So how does Bill Ekstrom find his harmony between life learning and leadership? That's very hot topic with me right now. And it has been for years because, um, well, first of all, I'll answer your question. Um, every day, every morning, not, not true, five days a week, Monday through Friday, every single morning I get up, first thing I do is get my coffee, I sit down and I journal um, for 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long it takes to get everything, I call it brain download, to get everything out of my mind and on, 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 on a document on my computer. So that's first thing I do. Second thing I do, I go right from that into gratitudes. So every day I, I write gratitudes or things that make me smile. And I think now I have hundred and some pages of, of gratitudes. And what's interesting about that is I don't just stop with writing three or four or five gratitudes. I then go back when I'm done writing a few and I go back, say two years ago. And I look at a, I look at an entire page that maybe it took me a month to write two years ago. And what happens, Joe, it's interesting. So um, these are all mindfulness exercises. I'll I'll read something that I wrote two years ago, like um, the way my dog of Labrador, the way the dog licks me in the ear when she gets in the truck with me, right? As kind of a way of thanks. Uh, The smell of a pine tree, um, a red finch sitting out a bird feeder out my window here. Um, And all of a sudden I begin to smile and I begin to be grateful. And then I go, I get about two hours of work done and I go then immediately into meditation. So those three mindfulness exercises have been the most powerful thing I've done personally than anything my entire life. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a lot of value there. And I think especially in this life, in this world where everything's go, 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 you have so many things going on, it's easy to get caught up in the whirlwind. So to be able to take the time to deliberately do that and, and practice some mindfulness, yeah, it's there, there, it's just the results on the other end are exponentially positive if, if you could do yeah. it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is amazing. And I I hope that you'll come on again to talk more. You know, this was just a fun conversation. Well, Joe, it'd be an, and I mean this, it it would be an honor to come back. And and as we did for the show, I want to thank you for your service as well to our country. Um, And anytime somebody like you says, Hey, join me, I'll jump. 
<laughs> Thank you so much, man. This has been great. And a shout out to our sponsors, two veteran-owned businesses bringing exceptional value to the world. First, Blazing Star Barbecue. Mike Starr is bringing the flavors from his world travels to your backyard. Check out his amazing rubs and sauces at blazingstarbarbecue.com. And Battleground Fitness. Brandon and Danny Lirio are out here providing people in different seasons of their life tailored fitness programs via their online platform. Check them out at bgfitonline.com. And as always, be safe, stay healthy, keep growing. Llamas out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.